Endure and Bien de Mew to Battle Royale, where we are passing judgment on all of the kings and emperors of France, from Clovis to Napoleon III. Who will be selected as the creme de la creme, and who will be sent to the guillotine. Je m'appelle Ben Clark. And I'm Eliza Summers. And we are continuing... Part uh, two. Part two of Louis XI, in which we will learn more about his personality, his the way he ruled, uh, his scandals, his uh, his love life, his appearance, um, <laughs> and uh, a lot of the information that comes to us comes from. Well, we got an abundance of sources by the end yeah. of the 15th century. Nice. The main guy that people usually look at for Louis XI is a chronicler named uh, Philippe de Comines. He's often called the first modern historian. Oh. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I, I read uh, I read bits and pieces of Philippe de Comines, and he reads just like a modern history book. It's, Ooh, it's, nice. it's very interesting. Um, so... Comines wrote the mem- his memoirs uh, five to ten years after Louis's death, uh, but he personally knew Louis, and he was an advisor to him in his oh, sort of later nice. reign. Yeah. He was originally at the Burgundian court, but then moved over to, to Louis's court. Louis kind of did this a lot, where he kind of poached people from other courts. <laughs> <laughs> May as well. So without further ado, we're going to move into reading Louis. We're going to start our first category, Enchanté. Enchanté. I will send you the main contemporary portrait we have of Louis. It's painted by Jacques de Littemont, uh, and it's painted in 1469. Uh, and it's the basis for all future depictions oh. of, of Louis. I'll send it to you now. Hang on. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> it's not even a crown. No. He gets an ugly, ugly hat. <laughs> He's got this uh, very interesting felt hat um, with a sort of a sort of red sort of cowl yeah. thing that like comes a, down over his ears. It's like a side portrait too. Side yeah. profile. Oh God. It's yeah. Side profile sh- really shows off how uh, the Frenchness of his nose. Uh, <laughs> God, it's the worst portrait though of all the kings we've had. It's interesting Ugh. you say that because I love this portrait. <laughs> I hate it. I think it's just oh, he's just it's just so different from any other royal portraits. And yeah, he just looks it. so over it, and I just love it. <laughs> he's he's like a little grump. God, they really portrayed him in an unflattering light. He's also wearing around his neck yeah, uh, the the chain of the Order of St. Michael, which is a chivalric order that he actually mm. founds. Um, and this is supposed to be his his sort of rival order to the the Knights of the Golden Fleece, <laughs> which is the Burgundian uh, order. It's a chain of sort of uh, shells, like gold shells, and then you can't really see the um, the main the main pendant. Of it, but I'll, I'll show you a picture of a more a more recent one because yeah. this order goes all the way up to 1830. Oh, nice. uh, that's when it's it's disestablished. Well, yeah, it's nicer. Um, so it lasts a bit longer than the last chivalric order they tried to make in France, which was the Order of the Star, which which John the mm. Second created, and that kind of fizzled out after a couple decades. Yeah, uh, but Louis creates the the Order of Saint Michael. In the center of the pendant, there's a yeah, picture of the the archangel it. Michael yeah. who's defeating uh, the dragon, yeah. spearing it. Um, and then it's got the classic for the leaves. I'm not sure if it's a dragon or if it's. I think it's meant to be like the devil because he's the one who like cast down the devil to hell. Well, um, devil, dragon, whatever. Whatever. This will just say it's a burning chicken. You want to. So that's the Order of St. Michael. Other than this, uh, I struggled to find other sort of contemporary images of Louis. All of them seem to be like from later. There are lots of later portraits and illustrations, uh, which I'll encourage everyone to to do a Google image search of. Uh, some of them are very funny and, and grotesque, but they're all based on this original portrait. In particular, there's a picture book from the early 20th century. It's called uh, Louis XI. The, the illustrations are by an artist called Job 
Um, and uh, it's very like funny. He's very like villainous. Yeah, I've just been. I'm just googling. Some of the other depictions are much better. Ooh, oh my god, he's like uh, Iago. Like, yeah, he's very Iago esque. He's always he's like skulking yeah. around, little his, finger vibes, his big cavernous gothic palaces, just like being an absolute creep. I prefer that depiction of him. <laughs> That's a better depiction. It's better than the the grumpy the the more grumpy portrait that we the get. Baggy eyed one. Yeah. The first portrait. The second thing I noticed was the hat, and then the bags under his eyes. So I much yeah. prefer this one. Which also has the hat, but just looks nicer. So he kind of, in a lot of these depictions, he kind of also reminds me of Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh. which is set during his reign, which is lovely. <laughs> yeah, but he's kind of like this, you know, villainous guy. And 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 this is connected to what's called the Black Legend of uh, Louis the Eleventh. Anyway, he's seen as this kind of like very villainous, schemy character, and he he was quite schemy. But it's yeah. perhaps been sort of overblown by mm. particularly like 19th century romanticism, that kind of thing, uh, which is always the biggest culprit when it comes to misinterpreting French history. I like the Lugardon. Lugardon. Oh, yeah. I like that depiction. Yeah. Showing him more towards the end of his life, his old man. But I'm going to I'm gonna be using the most contemporary portraits I can from this point on because they get pretty good from this point. <laughs> I, I do kind of like this, this devious image. Um, I'll get into yeah. Louis' epithets as well. Yay! Uh, so Louis has various epithets. Oh, if he doesn't have one like called like the Wily, I'll be so sad. Oh, you're going to love this one. So he's yes. he's got epithets like Louis the Prudent or yep. Louis the Cunning as well. Nice, nice, but my nice. absolute favorite has to yes. be the Universal Spider. Oh, that's a good one. Which is one that you might possibly have heard. Uh, yes. I'm sure many listeners will have heard of the Universal Spider. Yeah. Um, or the Spider yeah, King as well. It's something he's called. Oh, that's um, so good. Spider King. Spider, spider King, King does, does whatever a Spider, a spider King, King does. Can he sing? Can he repossess your lands? Your land. Yes, he can. Yes, he He's can. the Spider He's King. The King. <laughs> <laughs> Look out. Yeah, He's the it's Spider, spider King. King. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's Louis the Eleventh. Now, Louis the Eleventh didn't invest much in his kingly image. He was... Considering none of them have like a port, none of them protect him with like a crown. Yeah, I mean, he was a good propagandist. He did have a good relationship with the average yeah. people of France, spreading around sort of either you know legends of his, Deeds. you know, his power and and that sort of thing. But when he died, there was very little in the way of mourning and memorializing, yeah. <laughs> of Louis. especially probably from the nobles. The, yeah, the thing is, like the wealthier people of France very much resented him. Uh, yeah. but he was, and he was buried in a very simple tomb and he went largely unsung considering how much he actually did to centralize yeah. and reform the kingdom. Unfortunately, the seeds that he planted to sort of, uh, yeah. build France back up again after, uh, the Hundred Years War, they wouldn't really come to fruition until his son, Charles VIII's reign. Oh. And Charles VIII is once again, uh, a little bit more into the, the splendor and magnificence yeah, I think he kind of finds a bit more of a balance in in that respect. Yeah, but uh, that's Louis Enchanté. What kind of score do we think we want to give him? He's got to get a few points for his epithets because I do love the epithet. He loses a few points for ugly, ugly portrait. See, you're 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 gonna dock him points for the portrait. I'm actually gonna give him points for the portrait because I love the portrait. I think it's the worst one I've seen yet. I don't know. I just love this grumpy man. <laughs> He's. I find him endearing. But, they, you know, it's a matter of taste uh, a lot of the yeah. time in Enchanté, and it's all right for us to have different tastes. That's why we have two separate scores. But, like, if you saw that, you would not think it was the king that was being portrayed. Like, if you didn't know the history no, behind it, who it was, you would look at it and you'd think, oh, some grumpy, like, yeah. cardinal or something. But that, to me, is, like, part of its charm. I don't know. Because I'm yeah. like... I'm expecting when it's a king, I want a king. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but he's this guy who just, like, shows up places and you don't realise it's the king. And people are like, wait, that one's the king? Uh, and he's, like, surrounded by these other nobles that, like, dress more opulently than him. 
Um, mm. And um, it's just, it's fun. <laughs> it's a fun image. I don't know. What yeah. are you thinking? I don't know. I, I want to give him positive points just because of how he's kind of like captured the imagination of um, all of these other artists as well. But because it's not yeah. the kind of magnificence and splendor that we'd want in Enchanté, I guess it has to be like a, a middle score mm, at best. Yeah. I was thinking five and most of that's just for the epithets. Because I actually had heard of the Universal Spider before. The so. Universal Spider, it's a very good epithet. Yeah, I think I'll yeah. agree with five. Um, yeah, five, but for different reasons. <laughs> Learning about his life, I felt as though he would have had more impressive or just even just more like depictions, but so it's a bit yeah. of like a letdown. He doesn't have time, Eliza. He doesn't have time. He's running around everywhere. He's he's building a spy network. He's He doesn't have time. <laughs> But it also shows though that people didn't like when he died, as you said, no one really mourned him, so no one wanted to continue like depicting yeah. him that much. Yeah, exactly. Until the nineteenth century when they get really into their um campy villains. Yeah. <laughs> so that is a ten out of twenty mm-hmm. for Enchante. Yeah. Not off to an amazing start. I think he'll do better in the others. So on guard. On guard. I mean, I'd kind of just have to like point at the last episode and be like, look at all those things. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Louis XI comes to his, into his reign as essentially an outsider uh, in his own kingdom. He's yeah. been off either campaigning or exiled from court for most of his adult life. Uh, yeah. Even as a youth, he was raised kind of in isolation. He was kind of um, sheltered a little bit. Mm. And he never fit in at his father's court. And there's a strong sort of mutual resentment between him and the lords who are supposed to govern his kingdom. So Louis XI, he comes back home after his father's death, basically with a wrecking ball to just knock everything down. Yeah. Uh, Although he does end up backtracking a little bit and keeping the advisors and the policies that worked for his father. Uh, But even when he did this, his reforms severely alarmed the great princes of France. Mm, So so there's the big civil war. It's a big civil war, the, the, the War of the Public Wheel, uh, which Louis almost single-handedly causes <laughs> through his yeah. own action. Um, but it's kind of like, it was kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid. Like, yeah. the war was it, like It had to be done. Like, it had to be done, yeah, in like a way. Reforms. Hmm. And Louis does come out on top eventually. So true, true. he, uh, on paper, he does kind of, not really lose the war, but it is a kind of stalemate where he gives a lot of concessions. Yeah. He then backtracks and then over time gets increasingly <laughs> ruthless revenges against the lords who, who either come against him Not like true. Burgundy and Brittany or stood by and did nothing like Anjou and Orléans. True. Um, Louis came for all of them uh, in different true. ways. He left and no Louis, one behind. And Louis won, yeah. He's like, I won't um, miss out on you, don't worry. They're like, God, please, yeah. miss out on us. Yeah. We'll get, well, actually, we haven't mentioned what he does with Orléans, but we'll get to that later in the episode. Uh, Ooh, <laughs> actually, no, I may as well say it here because this, this is the on guard <gasps> yes. round. So, the successor of Charles the Poet, who is um, Louis II of Orléans, King Louis forces Louis of Orléans to marry his daughter, okay. knowing full well, for various reasons that we'll get to, that his daughter won't be able to produce children. Oh, is that Anne? No, different. The, uh, another daughter. We'll get to her in, in okay. Beyond Throne. But uh, it's a little bit sad. But oh. basically, Louis forces the Duke of Orléans to essentially extinguish his own line. God, that's brutal. So that Louis can... can gobble up his lands. It's very brutal. So Louis comes for all his lords. He usually wins. His dad, Charles VII, may have won the Hundred Years' War, but Louis did the work to make sure nothing like the Hundred Years' War or the Regency of Madness would ever happen again. And from this point on, pretty much up until the Revolution, France becomes a very strong, stable, centralized state. And a lot of this is is, is thanks to the work of, of, of Louis XI. Um, he's kind of like an unsung hero in, in a way, I think. That being said, next episode, we will have another civil war, mainly because it's a regency and regencies are just chaotic. But because of Louis XI's hard work, his kids will be able to manage it a lot uh, more easily than he did. You know, they'll, nice. they'll be in a better position, I should say, to deal with the threats. So 
Moving into other aspects of On Guard, Louis mm-hmm. uh, was a big believer in knowledge is power. Nice. And uh, he doesn't mean scholarly knowledge, like, you know, oh. Charles the Wise, you know, he's 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 not really a, a bookish kind of king. Louis is always, like, hunched over his desk reading things, but he's not reading, like, yeah. books. Uh, he's reading, uh, like, like, you know, tactics? intelligence. Yeah. No, he's, no, he's, oh, he's, like he's reading, he's like, gossip about, about everything that's happening in, in his realm and throughout that Europe. That is funny. Louis wants to know what's going on everywhere at all times. He's the nosiest, most gossipy man on the planet. OG gossip girl. Exactly. Instead of <laughs> instead of XOXO, it's XIXI. <laughs> this is Louis the Eleventh. That's so bad, and I love uh, it. I love it. XIXI, Universal Spider. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, very nosy man. But this this has a really good effect on you know centralizing France. But be- because he wants to make sure messages from all corners of the kingdom are spread as quickly as possible, uh, Louis mm-hmm. like uh, improves the roads. He sets nice. up relays of horsemen who are paid and fed and housed really well uh, with like nice. fast, good quality horses. This may this means that news is able to get around extremely efficiently. Oh, that's good. This is regarded as like the precursor to the French postal system oh. uh, that starts to develop. And this is like the most high speed possible like instant message system, system that day. can be created in the 15th century with the nice. technology that they have. So Louis, you know, made himself an internet. Yeah. Uh, this is very helpful because of how massive the royal domain is. It's, it's mm. able to be administered a lot better than previously, where kings had to carve it up, divide it yeah. among sons. Because Louis knows that he just has the one son, it's not going to be carved up, nor True. does he want it to be carved up. He's like, let's create a system where things Easy can so. happen quickly and it's easy yeah. to know what's going on That's good. everywhere. No, when people are causing mischief. So I'm going to send you a map just to just yes. to show you how the royal domain expands um, in his reign, and yes. this will once again be on the WordPress, I think. Yes, show me. So Louis manages to set up his uh, son Charles VIII with the largest inheritance that any Dauphin has ever had. Nice. A lot of this is because Charles is his only son. So nothing has to get divided up. Yeah. So not only did France regain the Ile de France, Champagne, Normandy, Poitou, Guienne, and Gascony at the end of the Hundred Years' War under Charles VII, they also have uh, Dauphiné and Languedoc, which they've had the whole time in the southeast. Mm. And thanks to Louis XI's efforts, they've now got Armagnac, Roussillon, Picardy, Artois, the County and Duchy of Burgundy, Provence, Maine, and Anjou. Nice. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Very well done. A lot of this stuff is stuff that the Crown has had at various points before. The places like Provence and Armagnac are places that the Crown has never had. Yeah, um, nice. Which are very much new new acquisitions. So the only great principalities that were spared from Louis' wrath uh, were... Mm -hmm. uh, Orléans, of course, although Orléans is a little bit puny at this point. Yeah. It was yeah, small but rich, I, I suppose. And Bourbon? But yeah, the Duchy of Bourbon, which controls like a, a vast bit of, of South and uh, Central yeah. France. But nice. the good news is Louis managed to get Bourbon allied to him by the end of his reign. After the War of the Public Wheel, the Bourbon switched sides and they became loyal oh. to Louis. And they were rewarded by a marriage alliance. So Louis's daughter Anne, the one who becomes oh, regent. regent. Her husband, uh, Pierre of Beaujeu, uh, is actually mm-hmm. the the brother of the Duke of Bourbon. Oh, yeah. So on. they're on they're on side as well. Yeah. So now let's get into sort of war stuff. Yes. So Louis is very much a warrior king, particularly as the Dauphin. He's 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 very active and effective military leader. Mm. And during his reign, he continues the reforms that have kind of been begun by Charles VII, but Louis brings yeah. a lot of his knowledge from his various adventures. Nice. Louis XI uh, brought in skilled fighters from other territories. Uh, yeah, nice. The the Scots Guard, who, who are already like oh. a, a staple of the Royal Army, uh, he kind of beefs them up a bit. 
Nice. They were the personal guard of the king who who protected him during battle. Nice. A bunch of rowdy Scotsmen. Um, (laughs) Although the Scots at this point are very much sort of uh, Europeanized, I I suppose. Uh, They successfully defended Louis on the battlefield, uh, particularly in the crucial Battle of Montlhery, which was one of the stalemate battles during the War of the Public Wheel. But at one point, it looked like Louis was going to get captured in this Ooh. battle. But the Scots Guard managed to stay strong and keep up the morale nice. and defend Louis. And nice, this nice. ended up rallying Louis's army. So it wasn't a defeat. Louis also brought in Swiss mercenaries, yeah. the, the skilled pikemen, to bulk yes. up his infantry. They were very good at counteracting the cavalry charges of the Burgundians. Um, nice. Also, because war is moving a bit more to siege warfare now, yeah. Um, having a good set of pikemen who are really good at like defending Central. gates and that kind of thing is very important. There's also a bit of a move away from archers in this period. Oh. Louis is turning against the whole raising up archers from like the peasantry kind of thing. Mm. He's focusing more on using mercenaries. Oh. Part of the reason he's able to do this is is because the crown is is richer now. Oh, nice. But he's actually criticised by the 15th century writer Niccolo Machiavelli. Who you may have he wrote this book, The Prince, which is basically like a yeah. handbook to like how to be a ruthless ruler, basically. Yeah. And you think he would he would kind of agree with a lot of Louis XI's tactics, yeah. but he actually criticised Louis for over reliance on mercenaries rather than uh, training his own infantry. That does make sense, though. But there's no there's no kind of desire that results from this is pretty effective yeah. during Louis's reign. We'll see how that goes in the future. <laughs> so Louis didn't neglect France's skilled cavalrymen, though, uh, as well as investing in swift scouts and couriers to bring intelligence to his armies, part of his big spy network. He also cranked up the number of heavy lances in the royal army from okay. 1500 to 4500. Uh-huh. Most of his military endeavors, in- including his, his use of mercenaries, he used his hero Francesco Sforza of Milan oh. as a blueprint for these reforms. And he and uh, Francesco were actually uh, basically like pen pals uh, from, from a young age, which is kind of sweet. That's on guard. Obviously, I haven't been in detail over like yeah. the various ways that Louis destroyed his enemies. We got that <laughs> in, in the last episode. But we can, pretty, we can say he's a pretty mm. effective... He is. Guy in, in this category, I think. He's really oh, yeah. beefing up that royal domain. He's really getting those personal gains, getting all that land. And he's learning from the mistakes of the past as well. True. Which is something we love to see. Yes, we um, Making sure that like a situation like the Hundred Years' War can never Will happen not. again. Yeah, yeah, which is good. And we see it successful. Like when England comes in, like starts invading, True. they're immediately just bought off by Louis. Because he's like, nah, <laughs> I have money now. What do you have? You need it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't this why you're coming to Land? Because you want money. So here it is yeah. and go away. Yeah, just here it is. Just, just go home. Just turn around. F off. <laughs> and also, when Margaret of Anjou comes like, into exile oh, at the yeah. French court, she basically comes in, she's like, hey, Louis, give us an army so we can reinvade uh, England. And, uh, he's and like, okay. And no, no, Louis's like, no, Louis's like, like, no. no. He's like, what's in it for me? Uh, <laughs> he's like, am I getting a bit of England? No? Okay, then no, I'm no. not going to help you. Also, you know, that hasn't gone very well for previous French products trying to invade England. True, true. So he's just like, eh, I don't want to, though. <laughs> that's a you problem, not a me problem. <laughs> yeah, that's very much Louis' energy a lot of the time. Like, it, yeah. like when his enemies are, are fighting each other, he's just like, let's just sit back problem. and see what happens. And then we can just come in like a crow and pick up, pick up the pick up the pieces afterwards. The carcass. Exactly. That literally, I think his motto was like, it's a you problem, not a me problem. Everyone's like trying to keep up with his like fast paced court as he's like running around and like hunting. And, and he's like, it's um, a you problem. You're not fit enough. And they're like, Louis, we can't keep up. And he's like, sounds like a you problem. Uh, <laughs> too bad. So sad. <laughs> <laughs> Figure it out yourselves. <laughs> they just does a, sappy, uh, a sassy snap and then it goes inside to, to read his, <laughs> his spy letters. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Definitely, 100%. So what would we like to give for On Guard? 
it's I think it did good. very well. It's, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, best like, we've seen in a while. It really is. The last high scorer we got was Charles V. Yeah. Who got an eight and an eight point five. Oh wow. Also, Charles the Seventh got a seven. That's because from it... each from each of us. Well, he's better than Charles the Seventh. It's because he won the Hundred Years' War. But yeah, Louis has more agency. Louis's more in control, and that's what we like in On Guard. Yeah, I'm thinking like an eight. Yeah, I was thinking more like a nine, Eliza. I think it's really good. I think he's 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 comparable to. He really reminds me of Philip the Fourth quite a lot. Uh, mm. the Iron King. Uh, yeah, true. Which, like, I've never, I haven't seen any uh, historians compare him to Philip the Fourth. Actually, you're first. He's really rem- reminiscent of him, especially with his like his network of minions everywhere. Mm. Um, I do love a good minion. The fact that he expands the royal domain and like limits the powers of the princes pisses a lot like of people that. off in the process. Well, I do like it's that. very Philip the Fourth, and Thank Philip the Fourth got a nine from each of us. Oh, then maybe I think I'll have to up it up a bit then to nine. Yeah, I think I have to, I do love a good spy master. Ha ha ha. My manipulation has worked. What's <laughs> more Louis' manipulation from beyond the grave? I just think, as much as we love Charles V, I just think he's better than Charles V. Because mm. Charles V, you know, while he does really well kind of fending off the English and like re-expanding yeah. French territory, he doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't go far enough, I don't think. Yeah. Louis prepared to go to like any, any lengths to get mm. what he wants. He's like, I don't care who I like annoy. Yeah. And I think that's something to admire in Umgard. So it's not 10 levels. It's not, you know, Charlemagne. Yeah. But yeah, I do think, I do think it's in line with like Philip the fourth, Philip Augustus yeah. as well. Kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. Philip Augustus got a 9.5. Philip Augustus also had destroying the Angevin empire. Like, like, yeah. If Louis the Eleventh had been the king who won the Hundred Years' War, yeah. as well as all of this stuff, he would he'd be like, getting like a ten. Oh my god, yeah. he'd be getting like a twenty out of ten. Sadly, it just comes in a bit too late. He does have a couple of those defeats early on in his reign, um, which I think could like dock him a point. So I think I think nine is, 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 yeah, is nine. what I'm happy with. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with that. So that's an eighteen for on guard. Nice. Not doing too shabby now. Um, so moving on to Voulez-vous. Voulez-vous? This round is the reason that this became a two-parter, because I got lots yeah. of stuff Ooh, in this Oh, yay. Good, we usually don't have a lot of stuff for this round, so. No, we don't. This is nice to see. Nice change. So I, I, I've got a lot, both positive and negative as well. Okay. So first let's talk about Louis's character. So yes. Louis had a very humble appearance and lifestyle he seemed to be more at ease among among common folk than great mm. lords and you know the the, the the rough and tumble soldiery rather than you know the the, the like yeah. prissy maidens and that kind of thing um <laughs> and the the lords criticized him for putting an end to the feasts and the parties of his father yeah they did seem like fun though when he wasn't, you know, hunched over his papers dealing with affairs of state, he was usually either hunting, traveling, or going on pilgrimages to relig- religious sites. Yeah. Also, despite the image we have of Louis as this as this kind of lonely, isolated villain, uh, yeah. which comes through in a lot of like the illustrations of him, he maintained a good relationship with his family. Nice. He was determined not to repeat the s- mistakes of his father when it came to his son Charles. <laughs> Even though Charles was kind of sheltered in the same way that Louis was sheltered, mainly for like safety yeah. reasons, Louis made sure his son was not getting drawn into like conflicts against him. Yeah, um, not being used as like a puppet. Exactly. We don't know how the, because Charles is still quite young and not yet like politically active when yeah. Louis dies. We're not sure like how this would have played out. Uh, had maybe Charles been born earlier, because yeah. because Charles is born quite late um, in yeah. Louis's reign. There are some sons before that sadly die. Yeah, but Louis was he was faithful to his to his wife Charlotte. Nice. Um, he hadn't been faithful to his first wife, <laughs> yeah. but to Charlotte, uh, he he was apparently completely faithful according to Philippe de Comines. Hmm. So Charlotte is described as a woman of quote middling handsomeness. Uh, <laughs> But she had a, a very sweet temperament, uh, which kind of balanced out her her more prickly husband. Um, nice. And she also shared his more simple 
lifestyle. She also adopted the Valois family's love of collecting books. Nice. So she was a nerd, basically. Uh, And she wasn't very interested in politics, so she kind of stayed out of Louis' way in that regard. So they were were well matched. Um, Yeah. They got along well. That's good. But Louis' favourite child is Anne, uh, his oldest daughter. Yeah. So... As Louis hunted or travelled, he moved freely uh, through his people. We've got records of him drinking with innkeepers, uh, receiving gifts of fruit from old ladies, uh, uh, receiving flowers from young girls. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, I'm now imagining him as the guy from Despicable Me. (laughs) (laughs) As I think of that image. And uh, Louis certainly gave back. Not only was he generous with arms to the poor, he also made sure that the members of his household were well paid. Mm -hmm. So even in retirement, people could rely on a generous pension if they stayed on Louis' good side. (laughs) That's the key. His wet nurse, Louis' wet nurse, Clemence Silon, received Mm -hmm. a handsome pension well into old age. Oh, nice. And uh, despite his, his humble appearance, Louis still kept up a large household to serve, advise, mm. and protect him. He also sponsored plenty of minstrels to to wander through the lands and sing his praises <laughs> uh, to get people on his side good. and uh, good let propaganda. him know, you know, he had their backs. It's good propaganda. It's not propaganda that sadly is like recorded um, because yeah. minstrels didn't usually write down their songs. Yeah. But it would have been good during his lifetime. Would have been helpful promoting his. It was the Spider King song. <laughs> yes, Spider King. Oh, that would that would sound lovely on on the lute. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the only people uh, employed by Louis who complained about his stinginess were his tailors. <laughs> oh, no, that makes sense. His tailors were not happy. <laughs> they complained he didn't spend enough on fine clothes that would befit a king. He often shocked people by his simple appearance, especially if he was traveling with great lords who were more concerned with showing off their wealth. Uh, it's not that Louis was, was you know, dressed in rags. Um, yeah, but it's just... And we can see this from his portrait. He had what we what we might call a, like, practical, business-like way of dressing. He's wearing red in, in the portrait, uh, but that was actually rare for Louis. He usually dressed in blacks and browns and dark blues, sort of simpler yeah. colours. He's going to hide in the shadows and spy. We've seen this in previous monarchs, actually. Like, like St. Louis dressed very simply. Um, Charles V dressed very simply. It's It's been kind of a trend for a lot of Capetian kings to mm. dress simply and kind of yeah. show themselves as being, like, above all of, like, the vanity of the... Of the, the other nobles. But Louis kind of takes this to a, to a new level. Well, he was called prudent. That being said, Louis wasn't afraid to turn up the splendor and grandeur when he needed to, especially into his later reign when he starts to realize, okay, this is, it's practical to like, you know, show off your wealth because it makes people, it makes people happy. So if he, if he had a big official entry into Paris, for instance, uh, he oh, would come yeah. through dressed in crimson and gold with like oh, nice. a big triumphal procession, dress up all of his servants in, in fine clothes as well. Nice. And you'll be pleased to know, Eliza, yes. that uh, while while Louis didn't indulge in luxuries for himself, he was a lover and he really doted on his dogs. Aww, that does make me happy. He had a large collection of exotic dogs. And he just loved dogs, which makes sense for him as a hunter uh, as well. Yeah. But unlike uh, previous collectors we've seen, like the Duke of Berry is like, bring me 1,500 dogs. (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) He was a bit more selective. More interested in the the quality of the dogs, yeah, than the quantity. Um, Yeah. So he collected English bulldogs, Scottish greyhounds. Uh, nice. mastiffs from from Italy, and these oh. are often gifts that are given from from yeah. foreign, foreign rulers. He even puts in a marriage contract once, uh, w- one of the marriages he arranges, that he must be yeah. sent one greyhound annually. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and he he named his dogs like he had a relationship Aww. with them. He's said to have spent more on his dogs' gold and silver collars than he did on his own clothes. And, you know, the dogs all had names. Uh, they were mm. all meticulously groomed. Uh, nice. And when they died, Louis went into mourning and he requested Aww. that it be announced at mass that his dog had died. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, don't, I love that. I love it. So this is like, this is the, the when I read this, I was like, this is the most endearing part of Louis. We're keeping this in. Um, yeah, that's the best part. 
So Louis also shows a lot of open-mindedness and interest in the wider world, which is something that his father had not really had. Mm. So even though Louis never left France for very good reasons, uh, (laughs) he was always interested in what was going on in other places, out of interest as much as for political advantage. So he had a love of Italy and all things Italian, which is a language that he spoke fluently. Um, He greatly admired the Duke of Milan, Francesco Sforza, as we've said. And much of what we know about Louis, uh, as I said, from his early reign, comes from the Milanese ambassadors Valperga and Panagarola, um, who were always at his side, actually annoyed the French lords because they were like, he keeps talking to the the Milan ambassador in Italian. We don't know what they're saying. They keep talking Italian. We don't know what they're saying. Louis was also very interested in both religion and science, um, two Mm. sides of of the coin. Although religion and science aren't necessarily separated in this time, there's very much this like a mystical, magical realm where they kind of intersect. And Louis's very interested in in this kind of stuff. He always had an astrologer with him uh, to tell him about the omens and like what the stars were saying. He constantly asked the Virgin Mary for help. He always had like a little shrine to the Virgin Mary handy and he he was constantly in prayer. And when he was dying, he summoned a renowned Italian hermit named uh, Francesco de Paola Mm -hmm. to stay at his chateau and sort of hold his hand in his final days. Oh. uh, Which is very sweet. Yeah. That is very sweet. On the more scientific side, uh, Louis once pardoned a man sentenced to death on the condition that he uh, become like a human experiment uh, test subject. Um, And he was used as a test subject for uh, the first ever gallstone operation, which uh, is a pretty horrific operation in the 15th century. I don't know if we want to go into the details. Was it successful? I, it's unclear. <laughs> I think it was successful. Uh, but it's it's not pleasant. Um, I don't know if I want to cut this out. I had a friend who just had to have gallstone surgery, actually. But in the in 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 this time, in in yeah. you know, late medieval, do? early modern period, they extracted it through the urethra. Okay. Which for a man, the urethra is Yeah, I know. <laughs> How did they what did they get up there? That was so. I don't know, but it makes me wince, and it makes my entire body shrivel up to think of anything going in that hole. That's the funny thing is that like you would be like that, but as a woman, I'm like, yeah, I'm really used to like having to. Yeah, know. women are like women are like. Well, that's just how a baby comes up, but for men, it's a very narrow. That's oh, that's oh. Anyway, I'm gonna stop thinking about that. So. <laughs> Yeah, I can't stop. So zooming out, moving away from Louis' personality, more to sort of policy. Um, yeah. He he didn't make any sort of sweeping reforms to the the actual like system itself yeah. of royal government. But as a result of acquiring so much territory, he was able to kind of like streamline and centralize the the country's bureaucracy and yeah. infrastructure. He was mainly interested in like taking existing systems that worked and like putting the right people in charge or like diverting funds to places that they, where it was needed. In particular, he spent money to maintain the roads, as we've said, uh, also to re-fortify towns, make sure that people are protected and to better compensate bureaucrats for, you know, job well done. That's nice. And now that he had more control over great port cities like Marseille, he also expanded France's trade ambitions and uh, he sponsored various sort of mercantile expeditions. Oh, yay. Um, Love a little expedition. Yeah. So Louis had an acute attention to detail, obviously, mm, as, we, yeah. as we've seen. Uh, as Philippe de Comines writes, quote, he involved himself in many petty affairs in his kingdom, <laughs> many of which he could well have ignored. His memory also was so good that he remembered everything and recognized everybody, both from his own country and from every other one. Indeed, he seemed better qualified to rule the world than a single kingdom. He just loved the gossip. He just loves the gossip. That's really like his motivate. Like his, he has two motivations. He's got, you know, make France better, make the king more powerful, and he's got. And let's heal gossip. the dirt. <laughs> let's heal the tea. Let's heal all the yeah. Spill the tea. 
Like, literally, I feel so the best way to get on his good side was to bring a bit of hot goss and he'd be happy. So as the universal spider is sort of spinning its web, yeah. you don't want to get on the spider's bad side because then, yeah. then you'll then you'll feel, feel the fangs of the spider. You'll be wrapped up. And Louis was absolutely ruthless when it came to prosecuting misrule, corruption, or just simple Betrayal. laziness. Uh, among his lords and officials. Oh, I'd be dead then in two seconds. Often because it suited his interests to, to like, repossess their property or appoint yeah. more, more loyal servants. True. But this just also happened to kind of benefit the average people of France as well. Yeah. Um, because turns out, if the the person in charge is more competent, things are better. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be happier. Crazy. Say, well, who'd have thought? Louis, on several occasions, poached competent officials and advisors from the courts of other princes, as I mentioned. Yeah, I'll blame him. Promising them better pay so that they'll sort of turn against their laws and join him and give them all the goss in the yeah. process. Louis wasn't an easy boss to work for, necessarily, though. His, oh, yeah. his minor lords and officials were rewarded with huge lands and titles for their labor, but they were barely able to visit and enjoy their new lands and <laughs> yeah, like, their shadows so busy. because of how hard the king was working them, like how Slave. much work he was Louis wanted things done fast. He wanted things done well. He didn't want to hear any excuses uh, because Louis was working harder than any of them. <laughs> He's like, this is not a nine to five job. This is yeah. a 5 a.m. to midnight job. Exactly. He's the kind of boss who, like, sleeps at the office and, oh ref- like... Or he's, like, one of those bosses where you, like, you can't leave till the boss leaves, and since he's exactly. not leaving, you're not leaving. And he's just not leaving. <laughs> and you're like, I'm like, I haven't seen my children in three years! Do they even know what I look like anymore? It's, it's like how you have to stop eating when Queen Victoria eats. Um, yeah, I know, and, and she was just, a fast she's eater. Just, <laughs> she's a wolf she in was, it like, down. <laughs> shoveling that in. And you're like, oh, she started eating. Oh, my God. Even though I feel so I would get such fun out of that if I had that rule as a queen. Because Oh, yeah. It, it doesn't help that I actually am a fast eater when I'm enjoying something. Because it's more like, for me, it's more like, oh, my God, this is so good. I just want it in my mouth. Whilst yeah. most people who enjoy saying are slow eaters. So I feel so I would have been able to keep up with the queen. Eliza, you'd be a horrifying tyrant. Um. Yeah, I really would. I, I feel so the power would get to my head and I would just completely become... I mean, we learned, this, we learned this in the Fredegon episodes. We learned that. Yeah. <laughs> I really should never be in power. I, I turn corrupt and tyrannical. Exactly. So back to Louis. He's changing a lot of things for selfish reasons, but the results are effective. Yes. Um Above all, Louis wants his kingdom to be a well-oiled machine. And, you know, he reminds me a lot of Philip IV in that way, Mm. once again. Sort of his selfish wins just happen to have selfless consequences, especially (laughs) when he's going against the corrupt nobility. But where Louis shines most in Bolivia, I think, is really his character. He's he's a lot more colourful than Philip IV. Philip IV was called, like, a statue because he had, like, no personality and he was, like, (laughs) dead in the eyes. But Louis has a lot of... He's a more vibrant sort of character. Um, yes. and I'm not going to make much of an effort to hide that that I that I that I, I like this man. That being said, we do have to address the dark side of Louis. He does have a, some atrocities that we need to talk about. Okay, uh, is, the, is it Jewish? It's not Jewish. The well, oh. the the Jewish people don't live in France anymore. <laughs> oh right, uh, because they got expelled uh, by Charles the Sixth. True. Or by Queen Isabeau, if you believe other people. So the uh, Jewish people officially do not live in France at all anymore. Okay, so who does he Um, target? The French don't even do business with with, uh, Jewish people anymore. It's mostly Italian bankers that they do business with. Oh, yeah, Um, true. uh, So, yeah, the atrocities instead are against... uh, Well, the, the main big one is when he's in his taking over Burgundy era... Uh, <laughs> when uh, his rival Charles the Bald dies and Louis kind of like scavenges the the corpse of Burgundy by coming against Mary the Rich. And the, the town of Arras uh, is is like oh. very harshly punished when it refuses to, to, to come to Louis' oh, side. Bend the knee. <laughs> to bend the knee, exactly. So not only did he execute their officials, their town officials, yeah. he also tore down their protective walls. He destroyed their historic tapestries. Which is a big crime in my book. And he also tried to forcibly resettle the population. So, like, 
dispossess oh. the people of Arras, make them move elsewhere, and populate the town with loyal French citizens. He even renamed the town of Arras Franchise. Franchise. Which not only sounds like, like, like f- f- France town. Oh, I thought it sounded like French cheese. It, it it means it means it means freedom uh, in in Middle French. Oh well, it sounded like he was say you're saying franchise like French cheese. Franchise. It's spelled exactly like uh, the word franchise. Um, hmm. Well, I'm just means, gonna. It means freedom in Middle French. I'm and, gonna take uh, it to mean French cheese because they sell good yeah. cheese. Uh, this this new name for Arras did not stick. It goes back to being Arras, and the resettlement project fails. Fair. But I'm I'm sure they have nice cheese in Artois, as they do in every. In every oh, I miss good part. cheese. I mean, Artois is technically part of France, but it's the, the part of France that was Burgundian. Uh, it's between Picardy and Flanders. It's like in that northern bit. That's where Artois mm. is. Uh, but yeah, Louis, you know, massacres a lot of the people of this region. Also, Ainort yeah. and Aven, he massacres a lot of people there. Um, mm. his rival Mary the Rich, by contrast, was winning support in Flanders by honouring local traditions and supporting the rights of city guilds. And she managed to convince the Low Countries that they were better off joining the Empire with her than they were becoming French, because the King of France was, you know, she's like he's Rich he's off his fine. rocker. He's he's a tyrant. Uh, we don't want to do business with you. Don't want to be ruled. Exactly. So Louis's popularity also suffered in his reign due to his high and harsh taxes. Yeah. Uh, which didn't let up even as France experienced some some of its harshest winters on record in the 1480s. Oh. So this is like the very end of his reign. It's worth remembering that we, we, we're still in the mini ice age. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, the, the climate is not doing so great in Europe uh, and things are, things are colder and, and wetter than they have been in previous centuries. And we've still got plague as well. We've still True. got the plague. And Louis doesn't do much to, to help these problems. Um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> France is at least, you know, not constantly at war. So that is yeah. helping. The countryside the isn't being constantly devastated Ravaged by and, like, the, the yeah. roving bands of mercenaries anymore. Yeah, so sure. things are improving, but, you know, yeah. people are still very much complaining about harsh taxes a lot of this is the nobility kind of rallying people up and being like oh he's not lowering taxes like other kings have um so i'm not sure to what extent this is like just people drumming up drama against louis but in everything he did louis seems to have had this like single-minded focus of Mm. enlarging strengthening the royal domain at any cost and Mm to leave a, a great inheritance for his son. <laughs> this means that we have a lot of evidence of Louis being deceitful and treacherous while he manipulates and screws over people to get what he wants. Um, yeah, I do enjoy that. And he, 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 he shows a lot of glee when <laughs> enemies like the Duke of Burgundy fall. Can't blame him on that. Apparently when, when things were going well for him, Louis would like struggle to c- contain his excitement and um, just be like... Uh, like pacing around like an excited uh, dog. Little puppy. <laughs> oh, he gets the zoomies. He's not peeing himself in. <laughs> he's not peeing himself in excitement though. Yes, he got the zoomies. Um, oh. But for people on the ground that Louis interacted with day to day, he could be definitely like a benevolent and generous kind of kind of king. When he wanted to. Who 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 you know lived the lifestyle of like a, a simple country gentleman. <laughs> He's kind of he, almost like a modern royal in that in that way. Yeah, yeah. He's going around like like King Charles, being like, "And what does it you do?" <laughs> <laughs> so, what do we want to give Louis for Voulez-vous? It was quite a a long, complex info dump I gave you, um, but I think I thought it was worth getting into that level of detail because just we have so much detail now about like these it. guys. Um. Definitely a stronger round for him than it was for his father. Yeah. I think his father got yeah. a very middling score yeah, in this say. round. Um, mm. Yeah, it's very it's, it's it's complex though. It is, but I think ultimately, if you look at the people of France, mm. and if you're ignoring like the little bits where there were maybe massacres. <laughs> <laughs> maybe which, that's just, um, maybe there was high tax, which only affects a corner of the kingdom, which is arguably like enemies of Louis. Yeah, um, true. and you know, I, I think 
the extent to which Louis was, like, crueler than other rulers of his time has mainly been mm. overblown. Like, I don't think he was exceptionally cruel. Um, yeah. Like, he has this kind of villainous image, but that's that's an image. That's an image. Yeah, that's, like a village. That's like a, that's a failure of propaganda. Um, that's yeah. not I do a like reflection a of how he actually image, rules. Um, like, we'll get into this in Ulala, but Louis has... Uh, in the chateau where he died, which is his favorite chateau, there were these like iron cages found, and it was like, oh, these are the the cages that he would like suspend people in. And there was this, um, there's a story about him like trapping uh, a cardinal in uh, who he imprisoned for a while, like in a cage. And it's like, no, in reality, the cardinal was actually fine; he was looked after. Yeah. Um, we don't have a lot of rec- we have the record of him imprisoning the Duke of Alençon in this way, but that was like a way that you dealt with like yeah. treasonous war prisoners um yeah. so it's like a lot of, a lot of these things like a lot of like the head the beheadings and like the those sorts of things mm. nothing is They're more necessary. cruel than, than what other rulers were doing at the time especially if you look at england and the wars of the roses and how bloody oh, yeah. that conflict is um uh and all of the murders that are going on in england it's it's no worse than that, I don't think. I don't know. What are you thinking? I think because he he does a lot to improve stuff like infrastructure and trade and like all the basic things that you really need to like recover after something like the Hundred Years War. There is the high taxes, but like arguably he's he's reinvesting those taxes into like good stuff rather than just okay. like parties. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm gonna give him a, a somewhat higher score. Okay. I think I'm gonna give him a a seven point five. Okay. But you can say on six. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. I did save the bad stuff for last, <laughs> which is <laughs> because I wanted to to uh us to not us Forget. to think about the dogs before we thought about the massacre. Um, oh, <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah, I do like the dog. But I think that's that's a good balanced good score, I think. So that's mm. a thirteen point five for Fulebu. Okay. Which is a decent score. Yeah, not too shabby. Yes. Now moving on to Ulala. La. <gasps> Ooh la la. There's a lot mm-hmm. here. Uh yes. I mean we could just go through last episode again for Ulala. <laughs> There's a lot there. So uh first we'll get into his love life. So he was yes. He was married first to Margaret of Scotland, who died yeah. young and had no children. They don't seem to have been very interested in one another. And Louis had at least two known mistresses during oh. his time as Dauphin. Uh, though he didn't recognize any illegitimate children. Oh, okay. And we don't know too much about these women. We yeah. we know their names. Oh. Um, their names were oh, it's disappeared now. Um, <laughs> their names were uh, Marguerite de Sassenage mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Felize Renyar. Uh, so we know their names. They were like minor Yay. noble women. Um, but, you know, nothing much yeah. more about them. They won't be in our official mistress series because they weren't, they were only his, his mistresses when he was Dauphin, when he was not when he was king. Too. And they yeah. weren't, like, official in any kind of way. Yeah. Um, so there's no official mistress under Louis XI. Um, yeah. By the time he was king, he seems to have been, like, just done with, like, philandering around. He didn't have time. He didn't have yeah. time for women. <laughs> too busy for and that. he was determined not to be, quote, ruled by women, as they said back in the time, <laughs> um, which he saw as a weakness of his father. Um, his father was 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 all controlled by women, that sort of thing. But in consequence of this, like lack of philandering, that's you know he had a good relationship with his wife. True. Uh, sadly, won't help him in in, in all that lot. <laughs> um, but moving from his personal life to his political life, we got plenty of treachery and skullduggery. Arguably, beginning with his implication in the poisoning of his father's mistress, Agnes Sorel, yeah. which is something we get into in Agnes's episode in the Mistress series. Um, it's it's potential that because I, we have definitive proof that Agnes was yeah. poisoned, which we get yes. into in, in her episode. Um, it's potential that Louis was maybe like working with people close to Agnes to get yes. her poisoned. Um, 
Uh, now, Louis, he could be a, a real nasty stinker uh, when he needed to be. And uh, obviously, I've I've talked about like how his his brutality didn't get to like crazy sadistic levels as has yeah. maybe been portrayed uh, by uh, particularly nineteenth century authors who love to make a big deal out of like the villainous Spider King. Yeah. Um, but the, the the whole like spinning webs of spies and that kind of thing, it's it's very I, cool. I love that. I love that. That really gained some points. Again, reminds me of Philip the Fourth. Also in common with Philip the Fourth, he has the threat of excommunication. He is threatened with excommunication mm. by, by Pope Pius the Second. Uh, the main reason that this didn't go through is uh, probably because Pope Pius died quite soon after threatening excommunication died very conveniently uh, <laughs> after that so louis kind of got away with it um nice. yeah no, Lu- louis was very open with uh, speaking out against the pope and c- calling him a very bad pope um uh like basically to the face of, of like the amb- the papal ambassadors yeah he wasn't one to, to mince words but was louis <laughs> he, he got in trouble quite a lot he was seen as a very scandalous figure in his time like for his contradiction of like the traditions of france his mm. his constant campaign to to rob his nobles of power um yeah he was seen as very controversial in a way that yeah. his father charles the seventh had always been like nervous about causing controversy yeah True. um Ooh. he's got like executions of powerful lords that were yeah they are you know, pretty judicially dubious he's got also the drama with his father i think should count for oh, yeah. lover oh marrying his second wife without permission marrying yeah without permission father. um all of the shenanigans he gets up to like as an exile like in burgundy um they hate him by the end he's got this very sort of villainous aura around him which yeah, i think should also I do love count a villainous. for something true, a villainous true. aura i do love a villainous aura though what what are you thinking for la la? What what do we what what's the vibe? Mm, point for potential poison. He one hundred percent did like murder people that we might just not be sure of. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure like some of those convenient deaths were like down to Louis. <laughs> we just don't have proof. Just how like power hung- how like openly power hungry he is. That really is just, true. I do, he gets a few points of the spider network because, well, I do love a spider network. His dad got eight. And now I'm looking at Charles VII's score and I'm like, how did he get eight? He did murder someone. Uh, he did murder yeah, the Yeah, he Bergen. bloody continued a whole entire civil war that could have, or if the war, the Hundred Year War, that could have been ended like years before. He did, but also Louis the Eleventh started a civil war that was entirely started by him and his own. Yeah, but he meddling. squashed it pretty quickly. He did crush it quickly, but like yeah, but I don't like see Charles's one. I don't see. I don't see why uh, Louis the Eleventh should be punished for quickly ending a civil war. He ended it quickly, and then he was like brutal because he was competent enough. He was competent, but like, why are we punishing him at Ulala? For like like Charles the Seventh, one of the criticisms we had and why we docked him some points in Ulala is that he was involved in a lot of scandals, but he was only involved. He wasn't like the one causing all of it. Whereas like Louis the Eleventh is like the one like setting fires everywhere and like causing chaos. I think he deserves a higher score than an, than an eight, which is what his dad got. And, and again, I don't know how Charles VII got an eight. I think, it was the Civil I, looking War. Looking back on it, I think. And the mistress. Louis Louis XI has different scandal to Charles VII, but I think True. it's it's equal. different, but it's equal. Okay, maybe I'll give him a... <laughs> okay, I'll give him an eight. You don't have to give him an eight, just because I want to. Oh, 7.5. I'll go 7.5. 7. I just need a few more mistress. A few, a few more illegitimate children and um, some direct murder. Okay. Actually, no, he did do direct murder, but you know. He did do direct murder of quite a few people. He's just a lot more brazen with his with his scandalousness. True. Okay, um, maybe I'll go for eight. I'm tempted to give Louis the Eleventh a nine. I can't think, like, 
are there any kings that are like more scandalous? You sure? He's losing points because of the lack of sauciness. Yeah, I know. But... That's why he's losing two points, the lack of sauciness. Where's the mistresses and the illimited, illimit, illegitimate children? Where's him creating yeah. instability for the realm to follow his son because he had too many children and now they're fighting amongst themselves? Yeah. I like that. But I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I, I really, I want a reward for the nefarious image. Um, I'm going to give him an 8.5. Um, you can stay on 8, that's fine. Um, that is a 16.5 for Ulala. I got him, I managed to get him half a point higher than his father. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on to Love on Throne. Love on Throne. Louis only reigns half the amount of time his father reigns. Yeah. So he reigns from his father's death on the 22nd of July, 1461, mm-hmm. until his own death on the 30th of August, 1483, which okay. is 22 years, one month, and eight days. Okay. And now we can get into the children. Yes. There's not too many of them, at least not too many that survive. Things don't get off to a great start with Charlotte of Savoy. Their first three children died in infancy. Oh. Um including a firstborn son who's game, given the very interesting name of uh, Joachim. Oh. That's um, like a Mormon name. Yeah, it's like a, it's a biblical sort of name. Well, Joachim, uh, Saint Joachim is the, um, uh, the fa- father, yeah, he's the father of the Virgin Mary. Oh. Yeah. And as we know, Louis is a big fan of the Virgin Mary. Uh, and then uh, two of their subsequent children also died in infancy. So, they have eight children total, but only three of them survive infancy. And we'll get okay. to who those three are now. So first we've got Anne. Yeah. Uh, who grew up to be her father's favourite. And as the Regent of France will be the subject of next episode. So we'll get into her plenty in next episode. Yay. Then we've got Jeanne. Yeah, you're going to tell me about. I'm going to tell you about her now. So, I mean, I'll, I will tell you about her more in future episodes because she does okay. continue to be significant. Um, over the next few reigns. But why can't she have children? She was possibly disabled in some way. Um, mm. She was considered, uh, quote, deformed, uh, <sighs> to use the terminology of the time. And Louis XI forced Duke Louis of Orléans to marry her, um, mm. likely to ensure that the Orléans line died out and those lands would come back to the crown. We will come back to this marriage in a, fu- in a future episode, so put a yeah. pin in it. Okay. Um, but yeah. That's Jeanne. And then the third child, we have the only surviving son, Charles mm. VIII, who inherited yeah. the kingdom of France and who will therefore be the episode after Anne um, yes. once her regency is done. So that's a total of three children, which is 5.07 points. Mm. So tallying up the final score, it's are we ready? Bling. That is 67.2. Not too bad, not too bad. This is exactly three points lower than his father. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did his father get higher in? I'm mad about that. Uh, so his father, I mean, and Charles VII, he reigned for longer. He had more children. Oh, that's why. He didn't do as well in On Guard and Voulez-Vous, but he did just as well in Scandal. And he had, because he had more of like a kingly image, he had more like artists and that mm. kind of thing associated with him. He got higher marks. in Bigger in, legacy. Um, yeah, in Enchante as well. But just because Louis XI gets a lower score doesn't mean he has to meet the same fate as his father. Yes. So, Eliza, is he fascinating enough, entertaining enough, majestic and fabulous and irresistible enough to be released from our dungeon, to go through to the Battle Royale Championship, and to be spared the guillotine? I'm going to give it to him. I'm oh, you didn't him. even have to think about it. I love the spider. I love the whole manipulating wily vibes. Universal spider. Yeah, he's the ultimate. He's held up as the ultimate like villainous uh, French spider. king. Just love it. Um, so 
I'm very happy with that result. Um, <laughs> I, I'm glad you like him, Eliza. I think it'd be interesting fighting against the others. It'll, it'll, it'll be it would be interesting, yeah. Oh, he'd have so many underhand methods, he would. <laughs> Everyone else is jousting and he's just got his little dagger. Uh. Oh, no, he, no, it's not just a dagger. It's like a poison dagger. When he's walking past them, so they're walking on the way to the jousting and he's walking past them, he just casually nicks them slightly with his poison dagger so that way they die before they even get to get to, onto the platform. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. That's what he'd do. Mm. Nice. So that is Louis XI. Uh, I hope you've all enjoyed uh, this two-part episode. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think. And uh, the next episode to come out, uh, well, we'll do Agnes Sorel um, on, you know, the Mistress series. But the next one on the free feed will be in two weeks, and that will be Anne of France, the daughter and favourite child, of Louis XI. We're going to learn all about her and her regency and the controversy as everyone is scandalized by a mere princess suddenly becoming the regent of France. Yeah. Yeah. But they'll make it fun. But yeah, she's a very interesting figure that we'll obviously get into. So I'm excited for that. Thanks to look forward to. Although between now and then, Eliza's going to have a little holiday. Yeah, Um, so I hope everyone else has a good Christmas and holiday and however you celebrate the winter time. So with all of that said, that is going to be au revoir from me. And goodbye from me. And stay out of the spider's web. (laughs) Oh yes, stay out of the spider's web. Don't ride on horses.